called Grillin' and Chillin'. So I'm going to light this fire. Y'all remember Beavis and Butthead when you lit a fire and they were like, <laughs> fire, fire. Like, I know I shouldn't reference Beavis and Butthead in a sermon, but um, I'm going to douse this in fire because I am a pyro. I sh- don't try this at home. Like that has to be said. So we're starting this new series called uh, Grillin' and Chillin'. And the thought process behind it is we just got done looking at a section in, the, uh, in Luke and uh, it's, Oh, come on. There you go. Uh, A section in Luke that talks about what it means to be all in for Christ. What it means to be following Jesus. And now we kind of transition kind of to a a nuance with that. Where we're going to look at what it means to be all in for Christ and missional for Christ. And so the thought process behind calling it grilling and chilling is that we would see all these opportunities when we are around a campfire like this, that we don't need an organized wellspring activity. Uh, we don't need uh, an organized something through the well or something like that, that we can be missional for Jesus in our backyards. That when we have a cookout, praying for one and the gospel still has, has an impact. And so we're going to look at that, and today is, is going to be like that. Back, back in the day, it was 2006, after we had caught uh, Os- Osama bin, not Osama bin Laden, uh, Saddam Hussein, 2006, he died. And uh, I remember watching, because it, it came up, maybe it was AIM back in the day, or maybe it was just when Facebook was coming out, but, but all of a sudden the video started popping up on whatever thing I was on. It was like this like makeshift phone thing, and... You like, it was like, you shouldn't watch it, but you're like, you're caught up in it, like that type of thing. And so I watched it, and you saw the noose go on. You, you, saw, you saw then his body drop and him dangle and shake. And then you saw his body go lifeless. And what, what caught me in that was it erupted into cheers. The people watching were like, like cheering, because in that moment, pure evil died. And I remember really feeling such a mixture of, of emotions, and then like I don't even really remember what the emotions were, but but in the moment, soon after, I, I almost started feeling pity, because from everything you can tell, like yeah, pure evil just died. But understanding that, with no indication that this man ever accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, like you knew in that moment when his life went lifeless, when his body went lifeless, that he was ushered into the presence of God and his eternity separated from God in a burning lake of fire was sealed. And so like pity, pity came over me. Like, and I, like it was this, this weird emotion. Like you didn't know what to do with it because he was pure evil. Do we handle our anger the way God would handle his anger? Do we handle our, like, is our self-righteous nature, does that make God proud? <laughs> does, does having a, a you-do-you type attitude please God? Does our hearts break for what breaks the heart of God? And, and, and these, are, these are ultimately missional questions because, because as we think about like the emotions, do we, do we handle our emotions the way God would handle our emotions? 
Like, these are missional questions because if we don't, if we don't answer it like God would answer it, if our heart doesn't break like God would break, if, our, if we're not angry as God would be angry, if we don't hate what God hates, love what God loves, if, if we don't do those things, like, to answer it differently than God would answer it, then, then we're taken off mission. And, and the disciples in the text that we're going to look at today uh, are, are in a situation like that, where, where they're, they're, they're in, in a situation where, like, they don't handle it the way God would handle it. And so here's, here's what it says. Uh, it says that when he drew near, we're picking up in Luke chapter 9, I think verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who, who entered the, the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was, was set towards Jerusalem. So you guys remember that, like a few weeks ago, we looked at the Mount of Transfiguration, where, where Jesus is up there, like the glory of God is, is all around. And, and, and we see that in that moment, like he's Elijah and Moses and whatnot, they're all, they're all talking about, <laughs> fire, uh, they're all talking about, like Jesus affirming his agenda to go to the cross. And now he, he's down, he's done a few things, and now he's, he's, heading, he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He's focused on Jerusalem. It's like this, 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 this language looks at like, man, he is, his mind is set. Like he's kind of like so focused, but, but for the common Jew, like this would be looked at as, as a detour. Even though it was the shortest way to go through Samaria uh, to, to, and to visit with the Samaritans, like this would be seen as a detour. He's on his way to his execution, and a normal Jewish person would go around Samaria to, to get to Jerusalem, but Jesus goes through Samaria. And he, the language is that he wanted to actually stay there. He wanted to actually visit with them, which would be ironic because Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds. They saw hanging out with Samaritans as contamination. They, they saw them as unclean, ethically, uh, ethically polluted, religiously confused. And it wasn't, it wasn't a one-way street. The Samaritans looked at the Jews as, as religious snobs. Rightfully so. <laughs> they, they looked at the Jews as uh, religiously confused because, because they had a different place of worship. Where the Jews were, were set on Jerusalem, the, the Samaritans were set on this Mount Gerizma or something like that. And that was their place of worship and their methodology behind worshiping around this mountain and whatnot. And so for Jesus to have his mind set on Jerusalem was almost offensive to the, to the Samaritan person because it wasn't their place of worship. And so they did what in ancient times would have been unthinkable. They rejected the basic premise of hospitality. Jesus was looking to stay. And in that day, like if you were visiting another town, like there were certain rites of hospitality and, and they rejected Jesus. It was, it was unthinkable in that day. I, uh, I read an article this week uh, preparing for this it was by the Huffington Post. So this isn't a Fox News article. This is Huffington Post. And it, and it talked about uh, uh, hate crimes. And it said the, the number, like the, the, the group of people that experience the greatest amount of hate crimes in our society is Jews. Religiously speaking, all like the FBI in their, in their whatever they do, uh, they, they record that 57% of the hate crimes in America happen to Jewish people. Religiously speaking. Second is, is Muslim at 16%. Like, there's a large gap there. And, and then the, the, the article, Huffington Post, goes on to say, like, and if you group in uh, racial injustices, if you group in uh, sexuality, things of that nature, that hate crimes, if you group in all hate crimes, Jew, Jew, 
hate crimes to Jews is still number one by a large margin. And I, and I thought about, like, in our society, in our culture, Tom's River, that has to hit so hard for us because that's a big deal. Lakewood is in the news. We're in the news locally and sometimes even, even nationally because the, the Jews are moving down into, into our society, into our culture of Tom's River, and, and pretty mixed reviews. I was at a, a, a council meeting maybe a year ago where I heard Jews go to a Tom's River council meeting and talk about having hot coffee poured on them, wow. soda poured on them. I heard a dad talk about a situation that his high school daughter was a part of where the bus had to pull over and it was overheating. And somebody yelled out, My, like, what's that smell? And another guy, another high school student, looked at his Jewish daughter and said, it must be Jews burning in a furnace. Like, how disgusting of a society. And here we are, worried about our neighborhoods, worried about our, the housing market, worried about who's going to live next to us. There are Christians more worried about Jews living next to them than they are seeing it as a gospel opportunity. Wow. And so my, here, we have to ask this question, who are we inclined to bypass? Who are we inclined to, to, to go around when Jesus is, is maybe saying, you know what, put, put less effort trying to go around people and put more effort into embracing people. Like Jesus puts a lot of effort to, to embrace these people. So maybe for us, it's where do we need to send an invite? Maybe for us, it's like, okay, if we have a shopping option between uh, going south to Manahawkin or going into Lakewood, maybe we're going to choose to go into Lakewood because there's, there's an opportunity there to love on our Jewish friends there, even just you know, living in, in, in society. Maybe it's when we see the high school kids as annoying and we want to uh, avoid them downtown Tom's River. Maybe when they're back in school, we're going to see, hey, instead of avoiding them, when they're cramming for a test at the lunch break, we're going to buy them a brownie at the well and, and say, I'm not avoiding you. I, I love you. You seem stressed here. Here's a brownie. God loves you and so do we. So here's, here's, where, here's, how, the, here's how the disciples handle, it, handle this. this. This rocks me. Like, here, think about this verse. Here's the very next verse. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, that they were just rejected, Jesus and his homies just rejected, when they saw it, they said, Lord, here's the question they asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? James and John have the nickname in Scripture as the Sons of Thunder. I have to imagine this is where they got the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Obviously, it's a very fitting name. And if, if I'm honest, okay, rejection's a hard pill to swallow. Rejection's especially a hard pill to swallow when you're in love with Jesus. When you love Jesus, when you say Jesus is great, like you, we all can give testimony around this circle. How awesome is Jesus and, and, and how we want the whole world to know Jesus. And yet, they don't even give Jesus a chance and they reject him. So like, at one level, like, rejection's hard to take. But they think, here, I mean, Graham talked about it last week, greatness. Like, they actually think they have the ability to call judgment and fire down from heaven. Hey, Jesus, let me do you a solid. You don't have to do it, Jesus. I'll do it. Come on. And it, 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 who are, what are they thinking? And yet, you have to imagine that in their heads, they 
actually think that Jesus is going to be impressed with their zeal. Mm-hmm. But this might be exactly what Jesus wants them to do. In my house, I have, I have two boys. And of the two boys, I would say one of them is a son of thunder. Uh, Brady is my son of thunder. <laughs> and uh, when, when Brady would get off the bus, y'all remember school buses? Those were fun. And uh, when Brady would get off the bus, you, you could just, you just read his face and you read his arms. If it was a good day, it was a smile, it was running up to mom and dad, a big hug. If it was a bad day, it was frowny face, and like, I'm not talking to anybody, and I'm going to go kick a can down the street, like that type of a thing. And, and the one day he gets off the bus, and he's angry, and it's like, Brady, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? Finally, we get out of him, and here's son of, my son of thunder, Brady. He's, here's what he tells me. He's like, Daddy, I showed somebody kindness today in school, and I gave him a God loves you card. Okay, I was like, oh, like, my son, pastor's kid. Way to be gold star. And then he said, the kid ripped up the God, the God loves you card right in front of him. And okay, so my heart's breaking a little bit, but Brady, in his attitude, wanted to kill the kid. Like, I want to show you kindness. I want you to know God loves you, and so do we. But you just ripped up that card, so now you should die. And, and so it was this moment where I had to talk to Brady and be like, Brady, like, listen, dude. Like, they rejected Jesus. They're going to reject us too. Like, we should, we just should expect that. And it was kind of this teachable moment, and I was proud of him, and, and, and also teaching him, and all, kind of all of those, all of those things. For us as as Christians, our job is not to call down judgment. Our job is to warn of judgment. Our job is to is to give people a, a, a way to to escape, to tell them that that through through mercy and through through grace and, and through repentance and, and faith in Jesus Christ that you can, you can escape coming judgment. And maybe in the midst of rejection, when we show people love, when we're doing a CK or when we invite somebody to a neighborhood cookout and they, and they want to come and make a fool of our nice cookout where we spent hundreds of dollars on meat or whatever it might be, maybe, maybe loving people in the midst of rejection will have our message then feel felt hurt because the question we have to then ask ourselves is do we want to punish people to Jesus or do we want to love them to Jesus and so Jesus you have to imagine <laughs> this isn't how he wanted the scene to play out yeah he's not like that a boy James that like all right let's play let's play out like let's see how this goes last verse but he turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village he doesn't rebuke the Samaritans. He doesn't, he doesn't come hot at the Samaritans. He pulls his boys, the disciples aside. I would have loved to have been in that conversation to see how heated it was, to see the look on James and John's face like, ah, screwed up this one again. He pulls them aside. He's angry with them. For the Samaritans, Jesus is like, all right, you reject it? I'm moving on. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to allow your rejection to sidetrack me. Your rejection is, is ultimately now on you. I'm moving on. He, he, kept, he kept going. We, we have to think about this. Like, we offer this message. We warn of coming, of coming judgment. And ultimately, if they reject the message, they're not accountable to us. They're accountable to God. And so if, if, if they reject the message, we, we simply move on. We don't get sidetracked by how they respond. 
One of, the, uh, one of my favorite books in the last year, year and a half or so is a, a book by uh, General uh, Mathis. Uh, he was the former Secretary of Defense, and uh, he wrote a book called uh, Call Sign Chaos. Great, great leadership book. Highly recommend it. And he tells this story in, in the book uh, about uh, the war in Iraq when he was a, a general over there. And uh, he talks about this. They took over a holy city, and there was, uh, there was a priest that would, on Fridays, would give a fiery message. And, and as he would give this fiery message, he would, he, would, he would bring in thousands of Muslims to ignite a, a riot. And this happened weekly, he said. And uh, he said, okay, played out. The, the army is there to kind of control the riot, take care of the riot and whatnot, uh, the protest. And it was getting, it was it every making to get ugly and whatnot. And he said on this Friday, it was 115 degree, degrees plus a large group of people. So you imagine how hot it was and uncomfortable it was. And he said, uh, there was uh, one of our chaplains, uh, Billy, Billy Devine. Bill Devine said he and some, some Marines grabbed ice-cold waters, went into the crowd, and just started offering the Muslims ice-cold water. He said, soon enough, the crowd dispersed. There wasn't any harm. There wasn't any incidents. And General Mathis says it's really hard to attack the people giving you ice-cold water on a, on a hot day. The reason he told that story in the book was he said that our job in Iraq was not to dominate Iraq. Our job in Iraq was to liberate Iraq. And so because our job wasn't to dominate Iraq, it changed our methods. We weren't there. If our, if our message was to dominate, that would have changed how we handled the crowd like that. But we were there to liberate. The church needs more Christians that are on a a mission to liberate. Looking at the broken world around us and say, we have a a message that would liberate them, that would bring them freedom. We're not called to dominate people. We're called to liberate. Our mission statement. You guys know it? I mean, it's been three months since we were back at church in March. You all still remember it, that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus Christ by relentlessly loving our community. Never once, we, we, we set that mission statement, you can't see it, but behind the camera over in that room is where we designed, I guess, felt called by God to make that mission statement. Not one time in a group of 17 people did anybody suggest that we exist to ignite a craving for Jesus by relentlessly dominating our community. I'm competitive. I love dominating people. But in the name of Jesus, I'm not called to be a dominator. I'm called to be a liberator. So our big thought for this online experience, this campfire experience, is that it's an abomination when we lose sight of our mission. The disciples thought that they could be used to be uh, an abomination that they saw it as an abominable, abominable, uh, an act of abomination. I don't know what the word, whatever. It's an abomination when you and I lose sight of the mission. The example I see with Jesus is that don't get sidetracked in rejection. Press on. Don't become distracted when people don't support you. Press on. Did Jesus? When you think about the Gospels, when you read through the Gospels, does Jesus get angry? He does. He gets angry throughout the Gospels. Righteous anger. He knew how to handle his anger, but he knew where to direct his anger. Did he direct his anger at the woman at the well? Nope. The woman brought in, caught in adultery, caught, caught with, 
sleeping around a whole bunch of people. Like, does he, does he get angry at her? Nope. Who does he get angry at? The religious people that should know better. It's the religious people in the temple taking advantage of foreigners with the money in the exchange where he's going to flip some tables and you turn my house into what? He was angry. It was the religious people that should have known better where Jesus got angry. There's a time to confront sin. But Jesus sets a pretty, gives us a pretty good example by his lifestyle as to when and where that should and should not happen. So for my kids, I care very much where they go to bed at night. I care very much in the future who they go to bed with at night. But outside of that, I don't really care so much. My point in saying that is outside of the church, outside of the family of God, I'm looking at sin and saying, here's my message. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Inside the family of God, the message is different. The message is, I see your sin. Now be like Jesus. You catch that? Like, outside of this circle, the message is to my neighbor, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. But here, a little family cookout, campfire, we might hang out after and play some songs and sing and whatnot, and one of us might say something, and and the message here would be, is that like Jesus? Turn to Jesus. Be like Jesus. I read this, um, I read this book, uh, actually last summer, my, my kid was in, was in football, and I was listening to the book, walking around the football field, and it was the book, uh, Black Like Me. It was this guy that, uh, that was able in like the 50s and 60s to change his skin color. He, he went to the, he literally went to the doctors and like started taking medicine and pills and was able to change the pigment of, of, his, of his skin color. And he was able to then, he was a reporter, he was able to then go into uh, the black culture, the black community, pass off as, as a black man because he wanted to write an article as, what is it like to be a black person in American society? Uh, and it wasn't to belittle the blacks. He really wanted as a white person to understand is, is what I hear as a white man reality or, or you know, whatnot. And so, powerful story. I highly, highly recommend, recommend the book. It's powerful. So as I'm, as I'm listening to this book, I was getting done with the book, and I'm walking around the football field, and I was like, like, it's not good just to read this book and then do nothing about it. It was a super powerful book. And so I was like, you know what? This is going to be awkward, but embrace awkward. And uh, I stopped. Uh, I saw two, two black gentlemen watching their kids playing football and whatnot. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to stop and ask them, like, what have your experiences been like being black and, and with the church? And so I did. I knew one of them kind of. And, uh, and so, that's weird. Um, and I was like, I said that. Like, what's your experience as, as a black man in church? And, and actually, they had a lot of really good things to say, which was, which was awesome and great. Um, and, I, and I appreciate that. Um, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't expect that. But it was a good report. And, uh, but then here's, here's what shocked me. It completely, like, left, it was one of those moments where, like, you don't have a response type moments. Like, here I am talking about, like, reconciliation. Like, bringing people together and, and, 
and one of the dudes looked at me and said, Pastor, here's what I got to ask you, though. Like, here's what really bothers me. And he, he named a certain sin. He named a certain lifestyle. And he said, Pastor, we shouldn't let them in the church. They're a poison. I was like, huh. I don't know if you heard the start of this conversation. And like, completely, like, you're taking in a direction I never saw. <laughs> and, and he kept going. I don't know, like, I mean, my face was just kind of dumbfounded. And I just kind of stopped and I was like, okay. Well, then, what sins do we allow in the church? And, and he's like, oh, I know what you're saying, but, like, it's a poison. And I was like, okay. But what sins do we allow? What sins aren't poisonous? And, and it got me thinking, and racism is a poison. My, my sin of greed, my sin of selfishness, my sin of pride sins of sexuality that's, that's all a poison because sin is a poison here's what I want to do as a church here's what I want to be as a church I want to invite every poisonous sin on the planet earth into our church because I think Christianity has the only antidote to the poison of sin my poisonous sin is no better than your poisonous sin, your poisonous sin, your poisonous sin. And so here's where I disagree with my friend that day. I welcome him. Because I have a message that is truly the antidote. Truly the antidote to all poisonous sins. And so we're not going to stand at the door and say, this one's allowed in, this one's not allowed in. It's bring all your sin. Lay it at the cross. And let me tell you about my Jesus. We have a choice. Are we going to invite people to the table? There is a cultural fire going on right now with who we would welcome to the table, who we would reject. And, and we can, like... We can say what we want, but we all have a pocket of people that we would not invite to the table. We might want to put out the fire of racism, but Trump can burn in hell. We might want to put out, uh, you know, this, we want to, want, want to fight this agenda, but this pocket of people, they're part of the cause, and so they can, we want to call down fire and say, God, I'm protecting these people these people should burn. Mm. So no matter who we are, there is a pocket of people that we wouldn't invite to the table. And there's a pocket of people that we're trying to protect and put out the fire. There are marginalized people all around society right now. And so here's my challenge for us this week. Invite the marginalized to the table. That might be going to the well and having a cup of coffee and inviting somebody who's marginalized in society. It might be if, if, if your house is a, a white house. <laughs> Let's invite a person to color and say, what's your experience like? What's your America like? Maybe in our culture, it's inviting somebody who's Jewish to the table. 
I did that this morning. I went to the well and I, 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 I took this challenge early and I invited a Jewish religious leader to the well. We had, we had breakfast and coffee. You want to know what stood out to me about that conversation? At the very end, he said, Jason, what are you doing for church now? I said, well, we're going to try to do something outdoor this weekend. He's like, you want to know my reality? It would be unthinkable for a Jewish synagogue to have our services outside. I was like, why? He said, because we have to protect our people from some idiot driving a car through our crowd. They have security to protect things like that. He, he talked about the, the messages. He's like, we get newspaper clippings, like magazine clippings, like a ransom note, sent to their synagogue with threats. And I was like, yeah, it's bad for the Christian church sometimes. And I'm sorry. So my challenge to you and I this week, and I really ask you to take it. Instead of calling fire down from heaven to protect one group while killing another, (laughs) would we invite somebody to the table? Might be a Biden supporter. (laughs) Might be somebody that's like, yay, Hillary. Might be somebody that really likes Trump and where's that make America great again? Will you invite them to the table and not make your politics the point of conversation? Did you just say, you matter? You're here. You have life. And maybe showing that you care to invite them to the table will open up a conversation about the greatest antidote that any of us have to the problem of sin faith in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, I, uh, I thank you for this campfire, Lord. I thank you for... Father, I thank you for, um, for Carly suggesting this now months ago, and here we are. Lord, I thank you for people with good musical voices <laughs> to sing around a campfire. Lord, I thank you for good weather on the day that we needed good weather. Lord, I thank you for the personal reminder that there is a group of people that I am trying to protect, that I love. And sometimes, Father, I want to call down fire from from heaven to destroy another group. And I lose sight that they don't need fire, they need Jesus. And Jesus will put out the fire that I'm trying to protect. Help me to trust you, Father. And this week, Father, I pray that the challenge, you invite somebody who is marginalized to the table. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, convict all watching. Because if we don't want to take this challenge, perhaps you need to pull us aside and rebuke us. Father, I pray that this is not a challenge that only two or three people take. But might we all invite somebody to the table and spark a conversation. Father, I pray that you will bring revival to our community. In your name, Jesus.